You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're listening to A Pirate's Life for Me on the Sports Objective. Join us every Friday at noon as we catch up with a member of Pirate Nation. Here's your host, Bubba Rosenbaum. Welcome into A Pirate's Life for Me on the Sports Objective as we come to you on Facebook Live as well as YouTube. Remember, you can also hear the show pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. And, uh, you know, we typically bring you this program on Friday at noon, and it is usually pre-recorded. Uh, but this week we had to call an audible as we had a scheduling conflict with former Pirate basketball star Maurice Kemp. And uh, we'll have him on the show next week. But this week, very excited to have a guy that I've known for about a year now and certainly knew of him uh, prior to the last year, but uh, met him up at Navy, uh, tailgated with him for several hours in Annapolis, had a lot of fun talking pirate football, and welcome back to the show, Jason Tindall. Jason, we appreciate your time this morning. Uh, absolutely, Bubba. It's, it's great to be on here. Thanks for asking me to join again, and uh, like like always, it's, it's great to talk about East Carolina athletics and pirate football. And that day when we were catching up, in Annapolis, uh, you know, getting to know one another, you were telling uh, my dad and I your pirate story, if you will, and you know how you wound up at East Carolina. So just take us back to high school. I know your dad was a coach, and uh, so tell us how uh, you know you went to App State and then wound up at ECU. Yeah, it, it's you know in the late eighties, early nineties, when when in high school recruiting was a lot different than it is now with social media and you know, huddle and all the coverage with 24 seven, et cetera. But I was recruited by coach Lewis and um, my recruiting coach who actually recruited me out of high school was Steve Logan at the time. And, um, you know, signing day was a lot later back then. And, and really the only way you were tracked as in the media was through something called the poop sheet back in, in those days. And when, when I got a call from, I believe it was Coach Logan or Coach Jags called my high school coach the day before the Peach Bowl and said that they were leaving. And um, it, we just got lost in the shuffle. Um, I was I was I was excited about coming to East Carolina. I was planning to go to East Carolina, so I wound up taking recruiting visits and and just fell in love with Appalachian State on my recruiting visit and wound up com committing to the Mountaineers. And um, you know, part of that story is. Uh, uh, one of the ECU coaches came around that spring and there's a tight end, Sherman McLeod, who also went with me to app that East Carolina was recruiting pretty heavy at the time. And, you know, the coach asked my high school coach says, where's Sherman and Jason? And I think they were more interested in Sherman at the time, to be honest with you. But, um, they said, well, they, they went, they signed with Appalachian state. And, um, so we went to app state and played two seasons there and, you know, wound up having a really good second year, sophomore year. And, you know, just to be honest, uh, I had a female situation. I was dating a, a girl from home and, 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 you know, wind up transferring to East Carolina in the spring, uh, spring of 94. So that January of 94, I transferred to ECU and um, wound up with only 11 hours. And Coach Jags uh, reached out to me and asked if I wanted to come to spring workouts. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. You know, I was, I was ready to, you know, jump back into the fold with football and had been working out with a couple of players and there's a gym underneath a, a dorm there on campus and we would work out sometimes you know even away from coach connor's and he called me that afternoon coach jags did and said uh you're not able to come 
because you only have 11 credit hours. So I was technically a part-time student. And so I was out of spring ball and started becoming a normal student and sort of saying, Hey, this, this college life was pretty good, you know, without having the, the rigors of football. And at that point, Mike O'Kane had taken over at NC state and he called my high school coach and said, he heard that I was at ECU. And that was the first year that you could transfer from FCS to FBS and not lose any eligibility. So he called and um, uh, Brett Simmons, who's recruiting coordinator, and Kim Pettis was a linebacker coach in NC State. And I transferred to State that, that summer to play football for the Wolfpack. And, you know, I think fate took over and I was I was hurt. I was injured all summer. I really could never really get in shape. And they weren't really sure at that point. And the, our compliance officer at NC State said, we're not sure if they're going to let you play because – the NCAA is looking at that that semester at East Carolina as a double transfer in one year. And I just said, you know, at that point, Bubba, I said, you know, guys, obviously I think my playing days are done. And I, you know, I, I just, I gave up playing. Um, and, uh, you know, fate would have it. NC State gave me a chance to work for the athletic department that year. So I got to spend a lot of time working there. And and I knew the whole time I was going to transfer by ECU because I, I just be, I'll be frank with everybody there was nothing about school at NC state that I liked. Um, and it just wasn't a fit for me. And, uh, I transferred back to East Carolina. And then that, that, that summer, uh, I landed a job working for legendary coach Dixon Sauls at Farmville central while wrapped up school. And also did some volunteering for coach Connors in the weight room in the mornings and in the afternoons for the, uh, the guys who are red shirted, we put them through weight workouts and things like that. But, uh, that's how I went up at East Carolina. So it's kind of a long story, but, it's you know it's a journey I took. I could I could write a book about transferring to schools in North Carolina, and uh, so that, that that's really the story there. Once you arrived back in Greenville, uh, you were there um, during the mid '90s. Um, obviously, a lot of success being had. Back to back Liberty Bowls, '94, uh, '95, and then that '96 team went eight and three and uh, didn't get a bowl, which was a crying shame. Uh, and then um, obviously '98 was another winning season at six and five. Uh, coming off that losing season of, of five and six and 97. Um, but so just talk about uh, you, you were able to be involved with the program to some degree and, you know, be an assistant for Coach Connors. Is that right? Yes, yeah, so I volunteered for him. I, I went up when, when one of his phys ed classes and I just said, hey, coach, I I play ball. He, he asked me, he came over to us squatting. He goes, did you did you play sports or something? I said, yeah, I played at App State, and I was actually supposed to come to ECU when Coach Lewis was here, and and we just kind of hit it off. He said, look, if you want to come in here in the afternoons or in the mornings and just just be here and help, and so I, I got to do that. And I remember Pernell Griffin was a freshman; he, he was one one person that um, I and enjoyed you know working with a little bit. I didn't do it a lot because my class schedule and then my commitment to Farmville Central really prohibited the time I got to spend. But I did get to witness a, an epic Coach Connor moment. Um, with a VCR and uh, just just making sure the, the freshmen and the red shirts understood their place in line and, and, and the kind of intensity he expected. I'll just leave it at that. But it was it was it was fun, uh, fun afternoon when he put that show on for everybody. Um, I, I was really good friends with a lot of lot, the, the players. And you mentioned those teams. And I was just having this conversation with a, a coworker the other day about how, you know, there wasn't a Saturday we went to or a Thursday night or whatever. We didn't feel like we were going to win. And something about ECU is just special, Bubba. And, and that's why 
I enjoy going into games and talking, you know, pirate football and pirate athletics and, and ECU in general with, with folks like yourself and your, your dad and, and other pirates that are out there. So um, it, it, it was just, it was a great time to be at East Carolina, um, you know, super competitive, uh, super tough, super blue, blue collar, passionate fan base at the time. And, and we're getting that back now with Coach Houston, which is, you know, a positive trend. We definitely are, and uh, we'll talk about the here and now as it is game day. The Pirates taking on Tulane this afternoon uh, down in New Orleans at Yulman Stadium. Uh, should be a heck of a matchup, and I certainly expect it to be a four-quarter game on uh, what a job Willie Fritz has done with the Green Wave. Uh, but before we talk about that, uh, you know, reflecting on those mid ninety seasons, uh, you know, a little more specifically, you mentioned some of the names of uh, uh, someone like uh, Pernell Griffin, uh, you know, he was more toward the, the later 90s, uh, mm -hmm. wrapped, wrapped up his Pirate career in 2001. But uh, some of those other linebackers, uh, you know, guys like Mark Libiano uh, and then Jeff Carr, those names come to mind. And uh, Carr, like Griffin, was more later 90s. But uh, what were your memories of uh, some of those mid-90s teams with you know, B.J. Crane, uh, Marvin Burt, Carlos Brown, and obviously just a, a load of talent on the defensive side. Yeah, so it's funny, it, you know, talking about the the weight round, I think it was Garrett Dorm, if I remember correctly. I used to go lift with those guys in the evenings um, with BJ, and there's a, there a guy named, um, his last name was Robinson. He was a linebacker as well at the time. I cannot remember his first name. It, it escapes me, but I got to know Jeff Carr a little bit because, uh, you know, my, my journey created a six year stint in college without a master's degree. So I was there for a while. Um, and, and, you know, talking about some pirate greats, uh, Dwayne Ledford was actually an offensive line coach for me at Sanderson high school. When I was a head coach at Sanderson, Dwayne, before he went back to ECU as a, a grad assistant was my offensive line coach for one year. But, you know, Jeff Carr and, you know, used to come over and we'd, we'd go to Shane McPherson's house. Uh, apartment and watch NASCAR and, and do curls, uh, and, and and all the football guys would be over here. Most of the meatheads, most of the offensive linemen. But you know, the thing was that was so cool about it was it was a family. I mean, it was you know race, religion, year, position. It didn't matter. Everybody would just hang out and have a good time, and, and you know they embraced me. They knew I played football and. Uh, it, it just, you just, it was something special about ECU and, and that those football teams. But I will say this, um, they were super deep. You think about what, even when Semenza was there, there was, you know, they were so deep at inside linebacker and outside linebacker. And it, it reminds me a lot watching these teams now that coaches put together. It looks a lot like those mid 90s teams that, you know, would roll into the Orange Bowl and whip up on Miami Hurricanes or, you know, some of the big wins they had with Syracuse, et cetera. And that's a good segue. Um, some of those wins, uh, you know, 94, I uh, remember going to South Carolina and putting 56 on the Gamecocks, uh, winning that game 56-42 uh, shootout with Steve Tannehill and the, the Thunder Chickens, as we call them. But, uh, but then also uh, you referenced some of those others on Syracuse, uh, Miami, you know, obviously uh, you were just a student. You weren't part of the program uh, in that in that way as a player, unfortunately. But um, just what are some of your top memories of attending games, um, be it at Dowdy Ficklin as it became in 94 or um, on the road, obviously, on some of those tremendous road venues? Yeah, obviously, you know, the, the times we we 
beat up on NC State, uh, and Charlotte was a was a big one. But the game that stands out to me the most from from that time wasn't one that was one of the most memorable for ECU fans as far as a win, but the Thursday night when Southern Miss came in town and just beat up on us. Um, you know, that next day uh, I went out to lunch with some of those guys that were on offensive line, and they they there was something different that day. They they weren't joking around and messing around and you know cra- you know cracking jokes on each other. And uh, Shane looked at me and said, "That will never happen again while we're here. It will not happen." And lo and behold, you look from that point on what they started doing that season. And granted, they didn't wind up with a bowl game that year, which I think is uh, it's a tragedy to be honest with you, because we were we were definitely one of the top you know, 20, 25 teams in the country. Um, but that that game stands out the most. Um, the West Virginia game when, you know, Larry Shannon caught the bomb on the first play, uh, that was a big game. And, you know, we just – I think we took it for granted back then because those teams would still come to Dowdy Fickle and play us. And now, you know, our fan base is clamoring to have those so-called P5 teams come in town. And, you know, I think back then we were just so used to it coming out of the independent and then, you know, playing the Metro teams and then what became the Big East and, you know, having that that regular rivalry games with those larger, you know, so-called universities. Um, it, it, you know, we, we've got, we got a little complacent with that. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's so many games there, Bubba, that, you know, we just – I remember when, when UCF used to come in town when they first became a, a team, uh, you know, a FCS and an FBS team, and Dante Culpepper and folks like that. We didn't, we, we never, ever, ever, ever considered that we could lose those games. That's just the mindset we had as ECU fans, and also that those football teams back then, just tough, blue collar, hard nosed teams with great quarterback play, and but also just uh, really good defense as well. Yeah, that 96 season uh, that you referenced was my freshman year of high school. So I, I remember uh, that Thursday night loss to Southern Miss that you that you mentioned well, um, falling 28-7. to seven And uh, it was a game that seemed like we moved the ball quite a bit and just could not convert and capitalize on red zone opportunities and chances to make that game close. And it was uh, that ugly three-touchdown loss. And then we, we were going to the Orange Bowl the following week and – you talk about um, the way the guys uh, really transformed the season, you know, from that point on, and um, just played tremendous football. Even though you you lost a game or two, um, it was a competitive loss. It wasn't it wasn't like that Thursday night game against Southern Miss. And the thing that one of a couple things stand out to me uh, about those uh, or that sequence of games with Southern Miss and Miami. Uh, one of my teammates at the time. Um, my freshman year um, and JV team at West Forsyth High School before I moved to North Davidson. That's what this kid was a Miami fan. You know, all the success they were having there in the late 80s and early 90s. So he was a bandwagon hurricane fan. And you know, he knew we had lost 28 to 7 to Southern Miss. And he said, man, we were going to kill y'all. I said, I said, just wait and see. I said, Southern Miss, um, first of all, I think they're probably better than Miami. And uh we didn't play the way we can play. So uh, just see how the game plays out. And needless to say, the next week, uh, you know, he was avoiding me like the plague uh, after the Pirates went to the Orange Bowl and won 31 to 6. Yeah. It, it, there's a play where we score 
and I, I you know, my my mind escapes who who it was, but one of our offensive linemen drove. I think it might have been Kennard Lang or somebody they had on their team at the time. I I could be wrong there as well, but literally drove him into the end zone bleachers, out of the back of the end zone. They didn't they didn't throw a flag. Of course, nowadays they probably throw them out and make them sit out half of a game. But that's just how, you know. When we were when we were rolling, we were we were flat out dominant, and Miami had a team of draft picks, and we just beat on them. I mean, just beat them up. Um, speaking of the Syracuse win, there's a Syracuse win one time. It's a funny story, and East Carolina fans can relate to this too. From back in those days in the late '80s and early '90s, we beat Syracuse in in the Carrier Dome, and um, my neighbor's boyfriend had a, a Camaro, and he went out there and started spinning his wheels and burning, you know, squalling his tires and he blew up the Camaro in the parking lot at, just celebrating after that day, that, that win in, 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 at Syracuse. So it's just a, a memory I'll never forget. Going back to that uh, Miami game very quickly, I know Matt Semenza said that you mentioned those big names for the Hurricanes. Casey Jones, I believe was his name, uh, the standout center for Miami. And, and Semenza said that, you know, that he was just absolutely running his mouth, uh, and, you know, even when we were beating the way they were. And uh, he was not handling the, the beat down very well. Yeah, I, I can imagine because, you know, they, they at the time, I believe it might have been the worst loss they had in Orange Bowl, you know, since like 1980 or something like that. And for ECU to come in there and do that. And, you know, we had that brand at the time, you know, we could, you know, play anybody anywhere. We could beat anybody anywhere. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm really hoping we can get back to that point where you know, I'm not holding my breath on a Saturday morning because um, back then we didn't. I mean, when we lost, it, it, we took it hard because we expected to win every game. The other memory that came to mind about that uh, was what Coach Logan said on his coach's show following the game. And um, that, that reminded me of uh, the story you were telling about going out to the players that Friday morning after the Southern Miss loss. And that just reflected on Coach Logan's sentiment and just saying that he said, now, honestly, I mean, I had no way of knowing whether we were going to actually win the game. He said, but he said, I just knew that, you know, seeing the look in our guys' eyes uh, in the locker room during pregame and so forth, that we were going to play the game in the pirate way and that uh, it was going to be a four-quarter ball game. And, and you saw what happened. Yep, absolutely. Um and, you know, that also carried over, if you think about the big win when we played Miami and, and, and Carter-Finley uh, during the, you know, hurricane and that 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 scenario with, you know, everybody coming together. And, you know, the story of Coach Logan going in at halftime, even though we were down by, I think, 17 or 10 or whatever it was, and he just – he didn't have a speech or anything planned. They didn't even make adjustments. He said, just listen. And you had Pirate Nation there in that stadium, you know, uh, saying East, you know, you know, ECU, ECU, and he goes, guys, just listen, and that's all he had to say to him. And it's just something about it. There's something different about East Carolina University. It's special, and um, and you know, I think that's why folks like you and myself, and so many of us are so passionate about it. It's just there's something about it, something in the water, something in our blood. It's just different than uh, other schools. Yeah, you mentioned the extenuating circumstances of that '99 game against Miami. Uh, that was one, uh, obviously, well documented. Uh, and rightfully so, with everything the Pirates overcame to, to not only play a football game, but to, to, to beat the number nine team in the nation, rallying from 23-3, uh, to three, I guess, early in the second half. And um, another story about that game is we've had the, 
the Hart twins, as well as some of the other players from that 96 team on the show. And Coach Logan allowed them to come in the locker room and speak to the team at halftime, um, you know, when there were those purple and gold cheers and the ECU chants going on despite being down 17 points. Yeah, I mean, it, what what a special night, right? I mean, being there, I'm so glad I went in person and was able to experience that because it, it was just – I'll never forget that night. I mean, um, that was truly what ECU is all about. Um, And, and, you know, like I said, it's it's what keeps us coming back. Even during the tough times, you know, when we went through some struggles the last few years, you you just knew that 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 power was still there and that opportunity was still there to get back to those days where, you know, we we, we put a quality product on the field every Saturday. And I feel like we're doing that now. so we're in, we're in good we're, we got the we got the pirate ship heading in the right direction for sure. And you know that was my senior year of high school, and one of my biggest takeaways from that game was just I think you can probably relate to this, and because of the the crowd and the way things were, and just knowing that a lot of our mistakes in the first half were self inflicted because we were having some success moving the football. Uh, I was like, if we can just cut out the the silly mistakes. Uh, we can come back and win this game. Uh, and it was very much like the Peach Bowl, uh, you know, or another game or two in Pirate history where despite the large deficit, you, know, you really felt pretty confident. Yep, absolutely. Um, if you remember, Jamie Wilson, I believe, was just clip, clipping off nice runs. And then – Yes, the, the sprint draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a, yeah, exactly. You know, and um, – you said it right, and and you know if you think about it, Bubba, um, the self-inflicted wounds is really how we come up on the short end and stick with most of our games over over time. And it's like any other team, but it just always feels like we still have a chance. Um, we never give up, really. And um, that that game itself was uh, beyond electric. Um, I, you know, it's hard. I try to describe it to people who who don't under and they just they cannot relate to that that feeling that night um it's just amazing before we move on to the here and the now you know from the logan years you know obviously a rough patch there to say the least uh, under coach thompson but then uh, the program had championship level success in 08 and 09 after skip holtz and staff steadily built it into what it became and um, just solid year in and year out. And you know, one of the better defensive lines, if not the best defensive line in East Carolina history um, there with C.J. Wilson, Limbo Joseph, Scotty Robinson, and Jay Ross. And then um, the program obviously had plenty of success under Coach Ruff as well. So before we talk about the, the present, uh, what are some of your top memories from those years? Obviously the Virginia Tech game in Charlotte, um, the West Virginia game that followed it, uh, you know, the, the Boise State game and the, the the bowl game there in Hawaii. Um, gosh, there's just so many. Beating Carolina, um, you know, that, that junior college in Chapel Hill. Um, you know, just there's just so many games. It, one, one of the ones that stands out is another backwards one for me is when we rolled into um, NC State and lost with, with Coach Holtz. And uh, I think we we got the ball inside the five-yard line three times and came away with three points, I think, out of uh, all three of those trips inside the five. Um, that That's one that just sticks with me as a sore thumb. Um, but, you know, just just how physical we were. 
uh, as a football team. You, you mentioned that defensive line, and at a time again, we we didn't realize maybe how good we were up front. But you look at the NFLers that were on that team, um, just just the big wins, just the big wins. Um, there's so many, so many moments. But I, I'd never forget watching Chris Johnson run up and down the the, the field there, that that stadium in Hawaii. Um, against Boise State and at the time we were kind of competing with Boise State a little bit for that brand on the national level and we just put it to them pretty good we definitely did on um, that that was a victory that was very sweet over in Boise State in the Hawaii Bowl and uh, that's what I remember kind of a funny story not to get too much off on a tangent but uh, you know prior to going to Hawaii there was some speculation that we were going to play Bowling Green uh, down in the Mobile Alabama Bowl that I think it was the GMAC Bowl or the Dollar General Bowl at the time. But, um, unfortunately, that did not happen because, yes, obviously there had been a lot more Pirate fans there. But uh, a win over Bowling Green uh, would not have done nearly for the program what that win over Boise State coming off a, a win in the Fiesta Bowl over Oklahoma did for the program. Yeah, I've got I've got a funny story about that that bowl game as well in Hawaii. Um, one of my running backs was on that team that I coached in high school, uh, J.R. Rogers, and he missed his flight with the team. And he came to Sanderson High School and said, "Hey, coach, I I, I missed my flight." And he so I I, I called Coach Rock Rogerman and just said, "Hey," he goes, "I think I know what you're calling me about. Don't tell me about anything. Just tell J.R. We hope he's okay." And because Rock knew we were going to figure out a way to get him on a flight and get him out to Hawaii, and we did. And he, Rock did not want to know how we got him on a flight, who paid for that flight, you know, which flight he was on. He just wanted to know that we were going to take care of Jr. But it was just a kind of a funny story because we quickly rallied the troops and got uh, got Jr. on a flight out of uh, RDU, and uh, he made it to Hawaii in about 24 hours. So it's it's just yeah, funny because I just remember Rock was so so short with me at the time. He didn't want to know anything about what was going on. So it's kind of a funny story about him. And God rest his soul. Um, such a good man and uh, such a good coach. And I've never seen somebody more passionate about East Carolina than Rock was. Yeah, I've heard uh, from former players. You know, I obviously being a former player yourself. Um, you know, not at East Carolina, but um, prior to that at App State, and uh, and also for a time there in Raleigh. You, know, you you were just, <clears throat> I mean, you know exactly how intense uh, those winter workouts are. And I heard some hilarious stories about, you know, Coach Rock as well as some other coaches as, as uh, far as those 5, 6 a.m. workouts. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing about those workouts that I miss. I can promise you that. Um, and that's why I, sometimes you, you hear, you know, fans who start bad-mouthing the players of their effort, this, that, and the other. And I don't think people really realize the investment that's made 365 days a year by these young, you know, student-athletes. So I think we always have to take a take a deep breath and recognize their student-athletes first. And and they invest way more. You know, we can give money, but they give, they give their souls, they give their heart, they give their time, and – they really give up their social life for five or six years. I mean, it, it really is what it comes down to. Their, their full-time job is being that student athlete for the university they're representing. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I was headed next. Um, the commitment that these guys make and, you know, and why you know, each and one of these uh, you know, 12 to 14 games, depending on what it is, uh, is so precious. Uh, but 
they're kind of uh, shifting gears to the here and now, and the Pirates taking on Tulane today. Obviously, East Carolina off to a three and two start. Uh, could be five and zero oh, uh, or four and one, but uh, did not make the plays they needed to make down the stretch against NC State as well as Navy. And um, so, taking a look at this one, uh, Tulane's off to a tremendous four and one start. Uh, I really had no doubt that they would bounce back from their two and ten season a year ago, and that that, that result just stunned me. Uh, Willie Fritz is such a excellent coach. And uh, this should be an excellent football game where we're going to need to bring our A game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine who coached with Coach Fritz on two staffs. Um, he, he did not uh, go down a two lane with him, obviously. But, um, you know, he and I talked about it a couple of times and actually talked recently. I was going to try to get him on a podcast this week and, and see if he would you know join. But he you know, trying to trying to get land another job. He didn't feel like it was the best thing in the world to go in there and, and talk about a, a coach or a coaching staff. But um, it, it, I'll be honest with you, Bubba, and, and, and whoever's listening or does listen to this, if we play like we're capable of, we'll win this football game. Um, I'm super nervous about it because it, it is on the road and it's going to be a, you know, a, a smaller venue, smaller crowd. And, you know, we've had a bunch of the home games. We, we had the big win last week against South Florida and, you know, uh, it's going to be a tough game to win, but if we play like we're capable of, we should win. And, and, you know, if you look at the stats, which, you know, can be deceiving at times, um, we, we on paper actually match up super well with Tulane. And it's going to come down to the simple things or the, the, the small things that we're all becoming more keen aware of is the kicking game and making sure we win that turnover battle. But also can, can we, can we move the ball when they're playing coverage? Are we willing to throw to Ryan Jones and Shane Calhoun and underneath the CJ if he's playing in the slot? Are we willing to just take the dinks and dunks and the dunks and, and, and not try to just throw over top every time? Because at the end of the day, that's how Navy beat us. I mean, they sat in coverage and they played they played as far off as I've seen a college team do in a long time. And I just feel like it just threw off our rhythm a little bit. And um Next thing you know, you're in scramble mode because you get so few possessions. Um, and, you know, we were trying to be aggressive, but it just, you know, the shell they were playing in the secondary made it more difficult for us. I imagine Tulane might do some of that today. And if I was playing ECU, I wouldn't blitz, but three or four times a game, I would sit back in coverage and make ECU move the ball and beat us and then try to whip them up front and, you know, hold the running game to, you know, three to three and a half yards per carry. Speaking of the passing game, um, obviously uh, last week Jalen Johnson went down, I believe it was late in the first quarter. He played about 18 to 20 snaps against South Florida. And uh, although we're very talented at receiver uh, with the starters and, and perhaps the backups as well, but we have not played many guys, as you know. And uh, it's been Zay Winstead, C.J. Johnson, and Jalen Johnson, the Georgia transfer, uh, getting uh, pretty much all the snaps. With a few exceptions, you do have Kerry King that's played a little bit, um, but not as much uh, as of late. Uh, he has three catches for 30 yards. But, um, you know, Jalen Johnson, uh, hearing that with that lower back uh, tightness that he may not be able to go today. Uh, so that will be interesting to see, you know, with Isaiah Winstead, C.J. Johnson, Ryan Jones, and also Shane Calhoun, the, the personnel groupings that we use and, you know, how much that uh, you know, if if we do see Kerry King or some of those uh, backup uh, reserve receivers um, that have hardly played, 
Yeah, it, you, you summed it up right there. I was going to say personnel groupings. I'm super interested to see when we when we deploy in first down, second down, and third down, you know, what groupings on the field. I mean, you might see more two tight end. You might see CJ go out and play outside if, if uh, Johnson's not able to play. Jalen, that is. Um, you know, when somebody has those back issues, much like Noah Henderson, you, you just never know when that's going to flare up as well. And, 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 you know, it really just it creates a situation where, you know, the, the athlete just can't not perform and it's, they want to play, but it's just not able to. But I, I feel like we have enough depth now. And you mentioned Kerry King and Kerry King to me, is kind of a wild card because when you watch him in person, like I watched him in the spring game quite a bit. I mean, he, he, in my opinion, now without watching tape, he runs really good routes. He seems to have really, really good top end speed. So he could be a wild card today as well um, in that mix. But uh, it's super interesting to see our first couple of series, who's on the field at the, um, the skill positions, including Keaton Mitchell. No doubt. And, um, you know, hearing that, that Keaton will be able to go, uh, obviously he's had that nagging injury, the hip pointer that he suffered against Navy, did not play, uh, probably could have, but um, he and the coaching staff, you know, elected for him not to um, last weekend down in Boca Raton. But then shifting over to the other side of the ball, um, and you talked about the Tulane uh, defense, obviously the Pirate defense, one of the things they're really going to have to hone in on today, um, as it appears that uh, that Pratt, um, you know, that he will be available. Michael Pratt, the um, Tulane quarterback, or it could be one of the very talented backups that we saw do so well against Houston. But uh, Tajay Spears is the guy I'm focused on, and uh, he's their leading rusher and receiver. Yeah, they, you know, he, Willie Fritz can probably take a, a pencil and draw a circle around. Uh, New Orleans and just recruit that area and maybe hit South Georgia summer in Alabama, but there's just so much talent there. You always know Tulane, even when they're not, when they're struggling, they still have, you know, skill players and they, they tend to have a really good defense alignment. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super interested to see if ECU can clean up some of the coverage issues that we've had lately. And I do believe they're going to because they're so well coached. And even when they have busts, they're still, you know, it's not some of the stuff we've seen over the last six or seven years where it's just like, hey, what the heck's going on, guys? It's people are in the right position. They might take a, a one wrong false step or they might take a just, a, you know, a degree or two of, of a bad angle. Um, but if we can if we can eliminate those coverage mistakes and take, you know, take better first one, two, three steps in, in their their pursuit to the ball or pursuit through the, the, the route, um, you know, we could be really good, but, you know, going back to what you're saying about the running back from Tulane, that's what worries me the most, as you said. And can we keep Michael Pratt, if he's the quarterback, off schedule? Can we get pressure with three or four guys? And at the end of the day, you know, we are what we are right now. We are we get pressure when we blitz. And then when you do that, as you know, we're probably in some sort of man coverage. So people are getting run off. And, and if a quarterback can make that 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 blitz or that pressure miss, now we, we got a situation where he can move the chains by either making a throw off of that by being mobile or run with the ball. And, and you know, we've really struggled against mobile quarterbacks for a while now, and, and including this year. So, you know, if we can if we can play coverage or if we can, if we can bring pressure and get to Pratt, I think we you know, we got a really good chance to win. Final thing for you this morning, um, and it's, I know you're going to have a little uh, uh, what kayaking trip on the river uh, before watching some pirate football. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so we'll let you get to that uh, momentarily. But uh, final thing with the Pirate Club, Pirates Unite, I know mm-hmm. you're a loyal supporter of the program. So just tell Pirate Nation, you know, why you choose to give, you know, and why you believe it's so important that they do so as well. I know you really enjoyed the uh, m- most recent episode a week ago with Perry Hudson, who yeah. obviously um, has done that better than anyone. Yeah, I mean, it it goes back to the passion we're talking about, to be honest with you. And, and you know, I'm I'm trying to I've been talking to Drew and and, and Ron Robinson about having a a pirate re- pirate club recruiting effort here in my hometown of Apex, because you know, you think about Wake County people, you know, you think about. There's a, there's a there's a strong park club chapter there, but it's in Raleigh, and, and that might as well be on the other side of the world for watching games and things. There's so many pirates in Apex who are, are alumni who 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 go to games and stuff, but they're still not even contributing to the pirate club. Um, and when I talk to people about the pirate club, I say, look, get give what is comfortable for you and your family and your scenario. Um, nobody's asking you to give a ton of money. If you if you want to donate fifty dollars, that's that's great. If you want to donate twenty five dollars, that's great. If you want to donate twenty five thousand, that's great. Um, I just think we, you know, the numbers have dropped over the years and part of our job as fans and, and, and loyal ECU alumni and park club members is to recruit others and just make that, you know, be that, be that beacon of, uh, you know, what, what's involved. Um, and, and, you know, when I was high school coach and teacher, you know, I, I gave it a very small level, but just to be transparent with everybody here, I've changed careers and had an opportunity to, to, to give it a higher level. And it's not about it's not about the ego or you know what level you're at. It's about can we provide the best scenario for our student athletes, number one, the best experience, and can we make sure that East Carolina continues to grow and continues to push itself as a, a, as a first class university um, out into the marketplace, so that we continue to grow the academic. Uh, side of the, the the university, but at the same time, we're not continuing to be left out of the expansion as as the college landscape changes. So I just encourage everybody, if, if you can give $10, give $10. If you can give $200, give $200. If you're if you're comfortable with that, you know, if it fits your financial uh, well-being, um, you know, do what you can. But, you know, you do a wonderful job of recruiting people. I know you've talked to me many times about ideas and things like that, but at the end of the day, you know, we just have to be continue to be positive and, and encourage those who aren't who aren't able who aren't given today to give what's comfortable for them. Exactly, you know, like you're saying, no amounts too small and no uh, underappreciated um, or unappreciated because um, you know some folks uh, I'm sure and you know they think a hundred bucks. Well, really, what can a hundred bucks do? You know, yeah, a hundred bucks by itself, uh, but when you get several thousand pirate fans giving a hundred and three hundred five hundred dollars uh, as they can then uh, that can make a significant impact and it all goes back to what terry holland preached um the, the power of one absolutely and the pirates unite campaign is something too that we just need to continue to to allow people to be aware of um you know upgrading our facilities to uh stay in the arms race, but also to, to maintain that competitive landscape. Because uh, quite frankly, you know, if, you, if, if, you're, if you're a realist and you've actually visited other schools in the state of North Carolina or other schools that we play, we are you know, severely behind in facilities for the student athlete, athlete experience. And that Pirates Unite campaign is something that you can 
you can slowly chip away at as an individual contributor and something that I, I enjoy um, uh, sending that that pledge in on occasion. So it's it, it's going to pay off for us, and we just got to c- continue to be positive and encourage others, and and be also be uh, you know, have empathy for those who don't really feel comfortable uh, pledging right now, but just you know continue to be that person that go, hey, you know, Bubba, he's just always positive about EC. Maybe I need to get on that train too, and. You know, I, I want to do everything I can to help Ron Robinson and Drew and Blaze and that Pirate Club group and, you know, the athletic director, uh, John Gilbert, uh, take us to new levels. Um, so just super excited. And, and when I get when I give the East Carolina, it's about giving based on the history that I have there and, and the people and the experience and that, what that university did for me as an individual. And I, I feel like I owe a debt of gratitude for the rest of my life to, to East Carolina and then, you know, obviously the Pirate Club as well. Very well said, Jason. Uh, enjoy the conversation as always, and I know we'll have you on throughout the fall. To, <clears throat> excuse me, talking pirate football, and uh, you know, pirate nation that is East Carolina alum, pirate club member, and season ticket holder Jason Tyndall. We appreciate his time this morning, and uh, you know, this is a pirate's life for me. Uh, typically, coming to you each and every Friday. Uh, today, we're bringing you a game week edition or game day edition. And then next week, it will be Maurice Kemp, uh, one of the better pirate basketball players in our program's history. Um, He'll be joining us from Israel, where he is currently playing professionally, um, to talk about his experience in the purple and gold. Uh, Be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter and TikTok at TheSportsOBJ, on Instagram at TheSportsObjective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For Jason Tindall, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum. We appreciate you tuning in, and as always, go Pirates. You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. Yeah, yeah, my heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down of my soul, and I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode, from the sidelines down to the pole.